Episode 87, LGBTQ Patient and Doctor Interactions. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we're Dr. Dana Stahoviak Perspective. Join 2017 Podcast Awards nominated host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, as he gets a rarely seen look into the specialties of all types of doctors and guests, plus marketing, travel tips, struggles, goals, and relationship advice. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. All right, today on the show, we have got a PhD specializing in social and cultural issues and trends in education. Now, we are going to talk about the gay, lesbian, bi, trans population and how doctors can make them feel uncomfortable and how we can make them feel very comfortable and small changes, I think, in the office so that they feel more comfortable and more welcome. Also, uh, one of the, I think, key takeaways, I'll just spoil it a little bit, is uh tackling our own biases that we may have and evaluating those. And then what is your intention, the intentionality of what you say, how you act and those types of things. They have a different perspective than a straight white male that we don't have to deal with. Uh, So I think it's a good episode to broaden your horizons and hear from a different side. How does the LGBT community uh, experience things differently and what would they expect? What would they like to see? Uh, We also discuss Long distance relationships. We talk about examples of docs doing it right, offices doing it right, where we might go wrong. Uh, we even touch, we try not to touch much on political. Uh, we, we almost go down that path and then we, we steer away and we just stick to the doctor patient relationship. Um, we do touch a little bit on the end about like Christianity and being gay and how does that play out in, in her life and in others in, in a similar situation. Talk about echo chambers. Uh, just overall, I think it was a really could be eye opening for a lot of staff and doctors and we'll learn some definite ways to uh, bridge the gap, practical ways. And I don't think very complicated because she is a great guest. A doctor's perspective dot net slash eight seven for the show notes. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China and North Carolina, we have a great guest today. She hails all the way from a a variety of schools, from Western Michigan to Winthrop to her PhD at the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. She has worked at a couple different places that I'm aware of, like the University of Louisiana Lafayette and now University of North Carolina in Wilmington, Dana Stahoviak. Yes. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me. Woo! That last name. What is that? It's great. It's Polish. It's a good Polish last name. Oh, that that would explain the W's and things in there. Yeah, that'll do it. I couldn't spell that until kinder, like after kindergarten. On my kindergarten report card, it said like almost for last name. Right? <laughs> like we can't give her an A in English, but yeah, <laughs> it'll be an A minus. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, today we would love to hear a little bit about the lesbian, gay, bi, transgender viewpoint and doctors and all of this, there's so much in the news right now. And I think there's a lot of people who are aware of themselves now, like, oh, that's offensive. Oh, I didn't realize that. My bad. And other people, they're just, you know, completely oblivious. And I don't know if we can help those people. But (laughs) a lot of us, I think, are trying to be like, okay, I don't want to be super offensive. And I also would like to not be micro offensive if I can avoid it. And at the same time, I think personally, that, uh, you know, we shouldn't treat anybody different. But the reality is that it does happen. So I'm just hoping to pick your brain to learn 
more about what we can do as doctors uh, to be more inclusive and you know what you guys expect from us so that we don't discriminate as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to talk about that. Perfect. So before we begin, there's lots of things in life that you could have been. So how did you get into your PhD program and, and, and choose that route uh, for your career? Well, so I, I always knew I wanted to be some kind of teacher. I thought I was going to be a band director um, growing up. And some things happened in college um, where I realized that my music that I was working on was more about competition, was about education. And so I decided to walk away from that. I still do music on the side, but um, I, I sat in a class in my undergrad where I was in, my whiteness was interrogated to think about my white privilege, you know, and this is back in the early 90s. And it really thinking about the ways in which we treat people equitably and the ways in which we don't. And at that point in my life, I was not, I was terribly, saying terribly racist things. I was sexist. I was heterosexist. I was, you know, I wasn't a horrible person. I was just kind of, you're a run-of-the-mill person who's not thinking critically consciously about the ways in which we treat people who are different from us. And so that kind of sparked that are free to want to work with um, minoritized communities. And then I, at the same time, was coming out and recognized that, hey, I'm a part of the two, right? I face discrimination and oppression every day. Um, so it became more personal. So I taught for a couple of years, and I actually, related to our topic, um, was fired for being gay um, from a school district, even though I wasn't out. Um, somebody found me out and outed me, and that propelled me actually to say, you know what, forget it. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to be proud of who I am. I'm going to go get my PhD, and and hopefully using that knowledge and using the higher ed arena could be able to take my resources and things that I learned and bring it back to um, schools and school districts so that what happened to me doesn't happen to other people, whether they're African-American, whether they're you know, other people of color, whether they're other LGBTQ people, um, whether they're not speaking people. Um, so, so that's kind of what propelled me was like, all right, I've always wanted to get my PhD. I wasn't sure what it was in, but this culturally relevant kind of topic um, is what sustained me. So I, to that, I, PhD is in cultural studies and education. You know, interesting you, you said that, and I just finished watching a Seinfeld with drinking coffee with comedians, whatever it's called. Oh, yeah. And he had Ellen, he had Ellen DeGeneres, and I had forgot about this, but she got canned from her show when she came out. And uh, I had completely forgot about that when you said that. I was like, oh, my gosh, like this was it, – it destroyed her for like two or three years, she said, before she got yeah. her own sitcom. Yeah, and that was back in 1997. I don't remember that. I was, I was in high school, like almost done with high school at that point. But I remember – and I was kind of figuring out who I was but wasn't sure. I remember like sobbing in my basement as a kid, like watching that, realizing like, wow, her life – like this could be me. I need to hide it, right? Like that was a – that was in 1997 and we're still saying things like that today. When I was fired, it was another 10 years later. And then Man. even now, 10 years on, we're still kind of in the same space. Where, and especially now, at least in the States, political climate is for the LGBTQ community. You don't know if you're going to turn around and you're not going to be served a cake or, you know, I've been in places where I've been asked to leave restaurants um, because I was making the other patrons feel uncomfortable um, just by wow. being and existing. So, we say that a long time ago, it's easy to forget, especially if you're somebody who doesn't face it every day. But for those of us who do, it's kind of in the forefront. Every time we walk into a doctor's office, a 
the post office, a restaurant, a store, it's in our, on our minds. Is this a safe space for me? Am I going to be okay? Interesting. I, I, I was debating, I won't bring it up right now. We'll see how our time goes about the, about the cake situation. And if there's a way to, you know, if, if it bridges into like, like a religiousism, you know, if that plays into it, where if you're Muslim, if you're Christian, if you're, if you're gay, if you're, is there any ways, you know, but we can talk about that later. Okay. Cause sure. it's a, that's obviously that's pretty big. politically uh, charged. Yeah. And I was like, do I want to go that route? I don't yeah. know. Let me just, let me just focus. And then we'll see what has her passion at the end of the episode. And we'll, we'll talk okay. Wait, I can talk all day about that religion and <laughs> politics and being gay. <laughs> yeah. That was actually when I was trying to find questions for you and like really like, okay, how do I bring this into, you know, a doctor's office? I kept going back to these like politically charged questions. I was like, nope, not the right appropriate. It's not the, uh, well, not I, appropriate, but it's not the. I think it's all relative to right? like my body as being somebody who I, I identify as genderqueer and as somebody who identifies or presents as more masculine than I do feminine. My body's politicized no matter what, right? Like it's always political, even as, mu- as much as we try to stay neutral. So I think that's where I think anybody would have that issue, that problem. Like, what do I ask? I'm not really sure. I think that's why a lot of people have trouble not knowing how they're going to accept or include or work alongside LGBTQ folks is because it's so politicized. Our bodies just being and living and breathing are politicized. I remember when we, we first met, it was at a Christmas party in Louisiana. <laughs> I yeah. just came back from China for like a year and been back by like four or five months. And it's in Louisiana. And, uh, you know, like, this is my wife. And I was like, hmm, wife, that's interesting. <laughs> and I remember thinking, have I been gone that long? Like, Louisiana <laughs> allows this? And you're yeah. like, no, it's a different area. I had to go somewhere else. And it just kind of like, it blew my mind. I was like, oh, man, I can't believe it. Louisiana got so progressive. And then, no, no, not at all. Yeah. And no, then, not at all. Not at all. So anyway, Okay. Let's get into some meat and some potatoes here. You're going to the doctor's office for whatever reason. Are there some ways that we can make you feel uncomfortable? And are there ways that we can make the community feel more comfortable? If it's, if, if it's in the paperwork or you're just, like you said, you're more masculine as a feminine uh, persona. So someone might look and say, well, she might be a lesbian. I don't know. And then do we treat you funny? Like, that's a weird question. So um, see if we can unpack that. Yeah, sure. So I think um, the thing to be aware of is that, uh, you know, in, in all of this, I preface it with saying I'm speaking only from my experience or from stories of people I know, right? So I'm not speaking for everyone. So other people might have different experiences than me. So that's important to consider. But I, I think in general, we're thinking about the LGBTQ population. Um, we're a pretty resilient group of people, and we're also a pretty um, intuitive group of folks. So we can tell just by the way somebody's treating us talking to us, even if they're the friendliest, nicest person, that they have reservations and that they are uncomfortable with who we are. Um, so I think the biggest thing for, for anybody, but doctors especially, is to just kind of keep that in check, in check. So, and one of the things that you can do that is, is start with checking your own biases. So what are, you, what are your feelings about LGBTQ people? Do you say, hey, I'll, I'll allow them in the office, it's fine, everybody is normal, or everybody is equal, yet on the weekends you're making jokes that are LGBTQ or you're saying, oh, that's, that's so gay or what a fact. You know, if you're using those terms in joking senses, that means you've got some bias, some bias that we carry, but really interrogating that and trying to like 
center it, sit with it. Like, what does it mean to have the, these biases and what are they for me and why? Um, and then educating yourself, just understanding the community as a whole, I think can help with just, just your, even your energy when you walk into a room that we can feel, oh, this person's comfortable or not. Because if you're more comfortable with your own sexuality, your own gender identity, your own biases, understanding them, if you're comfortable with the language and the terminology of the community, you're going to present more comfortably to an LGBTQ person. I think that's kind of a first step is just interrogating your own bias um, and then educating yourself about the community, but also thinking about things that, that make us uncomfortable besides just this felt sense when we walk, when doctors walk into a room or we meet doctors um, is that, you know, you said something about paperwork. So it's paperwork and language are the two big things that I've noticed. So like not recognizing somebody's marriage as valid, as valid and things like I've heard things like, oh, your friend, Sylvia, she's my partner, your roommate, or questioning, you know, people have questioned me. So I noticed that you put Sylvia down as your spouse. Do you mean she's your emergency contact? It's like, no, she's my spouse. So not questioning what we put on our, our contact forms, right? So yes, that person is my right. spouse who also happens to have a female name because she's a female. So end of story. So just recognizing marriage is valid. Whether or not you believe it is, um, just recognizing that. And on the flip side, the ways in which you can make comf- make people feel comfortable is by using neutral language on your forms in, when you're talking. So don't have spouse or wife or husband, have partner instead on the forms, right? So that, you know, are you partnered or are you single? And so that can work for anybody mm. because you have a wife, but your partner's with her, right? You're going to be co-partners in parenting. You're going to be, your partner's now in life and you make decisions around finances and things. So we're all partners when we're married. So using neutral language like that it can help um, on your on your forms, but also within when you're speaking to people. So even when you're talking to your patient that you know for a long time, you've known them forever, they've been married to the same man. It's a woman that's been married to the same man for 40 years. She's very straight. Even using, hey, how's your partner doing? I haven't seen you and your partner lately. How are you doing? Using that also helps you to normalize your language, but it also serves as a learning opportunity for your other patients. Um, so you can kind of live by example. So that's another way you can help to educate. So, and also think, so that's the, the LGB side of it, the lesbian, gay, bisexual. We also need to think about the transgender community because it's a different community, right? Um, not everyone who is transgender identifies as gay or lesbian. And so we need to also think about the, the ways in which we talk about gender. So in the Western world, we talk about gender in a binary way, male or female. You can only be one or the other. So, again, the language in your forms is just erasing that binary mode of thinking. So, instead of having, um, instead of having gender options like male or female, they just fill them blank. You know, what's your gender? And then people can write in whatever they choose. You know, or if you feel mm. like it needs to be more controlled, male, female, transgender, and then I'm like, fine. But don't call it other, right? Calling something other is yeah. also problematic, right? So even just leaving a blank line so that people, I'm very comfortable naming my gender identity, naming my sexual identity. I'll put it even if there's not a blank line. But offering that, having that line there is, is a message that even to that person, if they don't feel comfortable writing it on the line, they know that you're okay with them writing it on the line. So that's helpful. Okay. Um, and I also... Let me... Go ahead. Yep. Well, okay. Um, when it comes to gender, when it comes to insurance cards, typically they want an M or an F because it has to match. 
Is that a way to say, look, whatever's on your insurance card, just put that. That way, when we're doing the paperwork, you don't get denied because you put an F and it was supposed to be an M based on like the legality of Yeah, I think the legality of paperwork, you do need to follow that. So I think it's important that you have like a separate questionnaire that patients can fill out. What's your, what's the name that you, what's your chosen name, right? So not everybody. Make a copy of your insurance card and then there it is. Yeah, right, right. Okay. You know, so having options at least to be able to share, you know, this is the name that I choose, you know, yeah, on my insurance card, it says I go by Cam- I'm Cameron, but I'm actually Camila, right? Like, so having that option for folks, um, and it, because it does get tricky, and also thinking of like myself, you know, I identify as genderqueer, which is kind of this, um, I identify as male or female, sometimes I identify as female, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I identify as male, sometimes as neither. You know, like, it, it's kind of like, I don't really, I don't really care about if I'm male or female. It's not so bad to me, but biologically, I'm female, right? And that's important for doctors to know. Like, I have, um, I have fibroids. It's really important for a doctor to know that I'm a female, right? That, that he or she or they can treat me properly. And I have Crohn's disease, and my hormones affect my Crohn's. Um, if I'm in a flare. And so my doctor does need to know about my biology. Um, so I think ha- it, it's not an either or. You either put male or female or you put transgender. It's a, it's a both and, right? We should know your gender identity. So there's two different ways to think about it. One is gender identity. So the way in which I identify as genderqueer, but my gender for legal terms is female, right? My sex. That makes sense. Um, and so having those two different options, um, I think, is especially important in doctor's offices. Okay. And it's not like it's uncommon for us to put a nickname. Like if – because if somebody likes to be called Little Tom, okay, Little Tom, who's six foot five and 300 pounds, like I'll just parentheses Little Tom. And it's, so it's not uncommon to do that, especially, like you said, if it's going to make someone feel way more comfortable and this is how they identify. So why not appease them just like you would appease – Little Tom. Exactly. And and there is resistance, right? Like as much as that is common resistance, like, oh, you're suddenly transgender and I'm not going to acknowledge that, except my next patient comes in and it's Little Tom, right? But I'm going to acknowledge that. So there is pushback. So doctors can more like, yeah, it's not a nickname, right? Like, so don't, well, it's your nickname. So don't, maybe don't label it as a nickname, but, you know, preferred name, right, right. chosen name. Um, That's the appropriate term. Yeah. Yeah. Chosen name. <laughs> um, yeah. Not nickname. Um I think also having people be able to choose, like, name their pronouns is really important. So I go by she and her. I have friends who go by they and them. I have friends that go by he and him. And so just knowing that and trying to use the pronouns that people go by is also a way to make people comfortable. Even if you screw up, right, you're not going to remember that. It's not always comfortable for people. But if you have it on your intake form, you're at least that person know. I accept who you are completely and who are who you say you are, who I'm going to believe that you are. So even if it's on the forum, what you call a person because they go by they and them and you still continue to call them she, you're, work, you're a work in progress and we all are. And so that's, that's okay. Um, so that's another part of all of this. How can doctors make people feel comfortable or uncomfortable? And one of the ways that you can work on trying to make people feel comfortable is recognizing that you're human too and you're going to make mistakes. And just be humble about that. You're not going to know everything. You're not going to be perfect. But also know that we see that you're trying and that makes a difference. Okay. So when we, we're looking at your intake form and we see a partner, spouse, it's a guy and there's a guy's name down there. Okay. So you must be gay. We don't have to say it out loud. And you listen. And if he starts 
referring to himself as he or she or whatever, just are they, uh, be aware of what they're saying because we usually are aware anyway. Like, are you auditory? Are you tactile in the way you speak? You know, do you see this? Did you hear that? A lot of us try to tune into that so that if we have to give an explanation, we'll try to tie into how you talk, which means that's probably how you process things. So if we're already doing that, it's one more thing to look at or to be aware of. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yep. Okay. I think that's important. I think also another way, you know, if, if, if anything else that you can do to make things really visible, there are posters all over in doctor's offices advertising things. Are there gender nonconforming people in those pictures? Are there um, LGBTQ health issues posted on posters? Are those, you know, those are health issues that are specific to LGBT, the LGBT community? Do you have those posted in your office that you're aware of them, that you're making others aware that you're claiming essentially, hey, we've got this poster. This is a place that's safe for you to discuss it. Um, also thinking about the ways in which you choose people you hire. You know, it might be harder. It is harder for LGBTQ identified folks get, to get jobs, but they're just as qualified as any other person on the street. So maybe being conscientious about who you hire in your office. Maybe you have some visibly or out LGBTQ folks working behind the desk or working as your techs or working as your nurses and so that you're showing that you prioritize yeah these are working people too and they're valid and we have them in our office so if that's an option you know for between so it's not offensive yeah it's not, not like i'm specifically stopping at my office huh. with gay people but it's being really conscientious about who's the face of your your clinic or your practice you said that if you had a poster like i'm sure there's stuff online where uh if you're you know if you want to cater to that crowd or just like you said Let's mix it up. Let's have some Spanish people on the wall. Let's have a black person on the wall and some white people on the yeah, wall. Yeah, it's exactly thinking about the inclusion of diversity, right? So, like, we've, we've seen this rash, especially through the 90s and 2000s, of, like, ooh, look at all the people of color on our poster. And so we've got our, you know, quintessential black person and then white person and the Asian person and the Spanish person. And we've got, yay, we're all accepting. And then we don't recognize that there are also all of these people and all of these races are also have LGBTQ community members. Some who are passable, right? Like if my wife walked in the room, she passes as straight, right? And people often don't believe that she's partnered with me. I walk into the room and people know exactly right away. They've already told the story about me. You know, oh, she must be gay and she must not believe in God and she must be a feminist, right? People already tell our narratives for us when we walk in a room. So the more we normalize it, like, yeah, that person is on that poster with the rest of these other people, or yes, this is a health issue that we're gonna, you know, we can treat here, we can support here. Here it is on the wall. Um, I think that that speaks volumes too. I walk into doctors' offices and never see myself reflected in what's on the walls or what's in the paperwork, and that's sad. It's scary. Yeah, it's nerve-wracking. It's uncomfortable. And that's the part for me. I always find it's odd in a sense. Um, some people, like you said yourself, hey, I don't look purely feminine you know and then there's the guys that dress like more more feminine you're like hmm and i'm just like am i not supposed to have those thoughts like oh this person looks like he might be lgbt you know it's like well should i not am i supposed to think that can i not think that is like well it looks like based on the tv shows and the things that i've seen that you would fit into this category like are we supposed to have those thoughts of course absolutely and that's kind of how we how we walk through this world is we we decide oh that's a bad person that's a good person but what we have to be aware of is that our perceptions of people or the stories that we're hearing about people are not always for example statistically 
if we think about the mass shootings in the United States, it's been white men. Yet, yep. And statistically, white males are committing more murders and more crimes in the United States than any other population, statistically. However, all across the news, the image that most people, most white people, get in their minds about who commits the most crimes and murders are black men, right? That's yeah. typically what happens, but that's not... So we have to also just be careful about where we're getting our news and our information from. So, yeah, of course, you can walk into a room and go, oh, you know, I even do it. Like, oh, family. Like, that's our code for, like, somebody who's part of the community. Family. I do that sometimes, too. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong. But as long as you're, when you're trying to, when you're trying to decide things about a person or how to work with a person, as long as you're not being aggressive, as long as you're not like, oh, well, he's so gay, and that must mean that I'm, he's going to be attracted to me, so I can't, I can't help him because he might, as long as you're not having thoughts like that, but you're trying to figure out, wow, so this person looks gay, they're talking about things that are, make me think about the, the gay community, but they haven't come out to me, but I need to, for their mental health, or their physical health, I need to be aware that maybe they're struggling with their sexuality or maybe they're struggling with their gender identity. So I think those are important mm-hmm. things to be considering and be aware of. But again, it comes down to the intent behind it and making sure that we're not that we're not just falling into the trap of, oh, these are the bad people versus the good people. Because our society across the board, whether you're in the United States or you're in China, has a, a way of doing that, of ranking people as better than and less than. I like that. It's you recognize your thought, but what are you doing with that thought? Am I about to discriminate against them or am I going to, what am I going to do with that thought? Yeah. So, so in the past, you know, when I've had LGBTQ patients or, or suspected it, I, I tried to always, not always, I guess, but make an effort not to stigmatize or make them feel uncomfortable or whatever. And I know one time I, I probably did because I asked about partner or spouse or whatever. And, and he was like, oh, it's actually not legal in like 49 states or something and i was like oh oh okay and i've seen this guy for a while i just never actually knew and um once we had that conversation it was actually cool because if i saw him again we'd have like a conversation and it was like we were becoming more friendly that relationship between the doctor patient was i think much better mm-hmm. and i it didn't feel to me like he was offended by that question he just kind of made a joke about it and then, like I said, like from then on, it was just kind of uh, more comfortable. And we had more to talk about than just, so you got a neck pain again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was crazy. Not crazy. If you just don't interact with a certain community, you don't know what you don't know. My goodness. He's just a normal guy with normal issues. Like everything that we go through called as straight people. Wow. They have the same family exactly, dynamics yeah. and the same, oh, I got an in-law I got to deal with and, and this and that. And you're like, oh, look at this. You've become a human being. Yeah, I think we see that. When we start looking at people as human beings versus normal or not normal, there's a change in our perspective and the way that we look at people. So I think it all goes again back to interrogating your life and educating yourself. You didn't know something, you asked a question, you learned more about it, and that way you were able to foster that relationship. And so the more we look at people as equal, we all have families, you know, I'm sure you and I could sit down and like complain about our wives, right? <laughs> there are things that, right. like we talk about this or our wife could complain about us or, um, you know, we have, we all have that. But it, it is also important to recognize the difference. The, the challenges that LGBTQ people have faced that you haven't faced. You, you are privileged. You are considered 99% of the time normal, right? 
because yeah. you're a white, straight, gender male, whereas me, when I walk into rooms, I'm not always considered normal. And it's not until people go, oh, I got to know Dana, and she was really great. <laughs> it's like, wait, why did you start with, Dana looks really, like, seems really great, but it was, it's like, there's this skepticism, there's this worry, like, oh, they're gay, I don't know. But it really has more to do it's like with... like, in spite of... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, some people, I mean, I knew a guy, he had never met a black person until he was, like, 15. I was like, I don't understand. I mean, I grew up, it was 50%. So, like, yeah. everybody in your home, every, it, was, it was, quote, they're everywhere. I mean, it was, and he's, like, never seen someone until 15. I was just like, uh, yeah, I, actually, I don't understand this. I was teaching probably about maybe eight years ago or so, seven or eight years ago, I was teaching an undergrad class. And we had this panel of LGBTQ identified people talking to pre-service teachers. And this one girl was sitting in the back of the class shaking. And I went back to her and I was, I said, are you, are you okay? Do you need to leave us? And she's like, I have never been around gay people in my entire life. And I've been told that I need fear all of you. But I'm realizing that you're all really beautiful people. And I didn't know. That. And I've spent 20 years of my life thinking you're awful people. So she had this like, total moment of like, I'm still afraid of you because I've raised my entire life to be afraid of you and think that you're bad people. Yet I'm here humbly as human beings going oh my gosh so it can for people right and and because there's to me there's um it's scary to be out in certain situations um in a lot of situations and so people don't come out right like you can't hide your blackness you can't hide that you have dark darker skin you can't that you're not white right but if some people can pass as straight can pass as whatever gender, and so that can be a little safer for them, and then people don't know. And then when you find out, it can be a little bit jarring, right, the, for the other person. Um, and so, again, just being into that. Um, but, yeah, I think there are a lot of people, too. You know, I, one thing I tell students is look at your Facebook list of friends. Like, who are your friends? Do they all look like you, think like you, act like you? You might want to think about, like, widening your circle, like bringing that out and getting to know more people and not hanging out with your kind. Right. I think that'll help to, like you said, you got to know this guy and outside you, you run into him, you'd be able to ask him questions and it was a friendly relationship. And so I think that can help too. thinking about who's in your circle. Who do you talk to? And sometimes with Facebook, sometimes I regret looking at things, not like porn or something, just like regular, like some kind of something. And then all of a sudden you're like, you're in every other slide. You're like, man, I, didn't, I don't want to see more of this or you look too much on the conservative side and then you don't start seeing the liberal side. Then you go too far. So I think it's good, like you're saying, to read different sources. Otherwise, your fi- your feed is going to be always what you think. And you're going to have that echo chamber. I think when that, that's not good for anybody, I don't think. Right. Whether you're conservative or liberal, it's not good to stay in your echo chamber at all right. times. Uh, you know, I, and it's easy it on is, Facebook. Uh, totally. and, and in life, too. You know, I, on my way, I, I travel a lot between Wellington and Greensboro. My partner in Greensboro and, and we live back and forth between the two cities when I drive home in certain areas of like talk radio that comes on is like I, I'm not conservative I'm, that's just not me I'd say I'm kind of center a little leaning a little bit more left but you know so I tend to listen to NPR and CNN and have those things on and when I go in these certain areas of that's more conservative I find myself like ah angry mad. but then when I flip back over to what I usually live to, I can go oh so I wonder if this is why people at other station were thinking this, like, oh, if I think about it from their perspective, that does sound dumb. So how can we talk about it better? I think it's, you know, and every morning I wake up, I check CNN and I'll check Fox News. Like, what's 
on this news channel and how are they putting it on this other news channel? And I can make my own informed decision about what I want to believe and what I want to listen to. Everybody's going to filter things through their different experiences, their different lifestyles from where they live. Um, who am I to say what is right or wrong? I know what feels right for me just as much as you know what feels right for you and somebody else, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to always butt heads or one has to be right or wrong. And I think that can come into play when we think about the LGBTQ community, because oftentimes the argument is religious, right? That's not my religious re beliefs. And that then also is then, well, I'm conservative, I'm Republican, right? Those often tend to, even though they don't have to go together, well, I'm, I'm Christian and I'm Republican, they ha must go together. And so there's often a very religious thing becomes very political when it doesn't necessarily need to. Mm -hmm. And so I think that can, that can be where it's uncomfortable, too. I've, I've been in offices where it's clear. I mean, I've been in a, you know, I think everybody needs to go to therapy. I think mental health is really something that we all need to be aware of, whether or not you're, if, even yeah. if you're really, really healthy, I think everybody should be in therapy. So I was in, the, in a therapy session, I remember seeing a cross pencil on the therapist's desk. And I automatically had this I thought of, like, oh, man, I can't talk to her about my life. And lo and behold, she also was making comments to me about like, oh, well, you can, you don't have to be gay. You know, she very much had the highest <laughs> way, but I also was looking at her like, oh, I can't tell her these things. But if we're more aware of, of the ways in which our beliefs play into how we treat people or how we act around people, I think that's important too. But especially with the LGBTQ side of it, you know, I, I used, I believe God, I'm, I, I have a Christian background, you know, and a lot of people automatically assume that, well, you're this horrible heathen, and then I get labeled something else. I think that's a that's a real struggle for me as somebody who identifies as gay and who somebody who believes God is that there's automatically this assumption that I'm a bad person who doesn't have these, so I can't have these these conversations or I can't run in circles or how can you be Christian and be gay. I'm not a Christian, but I believe in God. But how can you be this and be gay? Um, so I think, again, at more broadening our horizons that, okay, my religious beliefs, if I have mine, where can we meet in the middle where you're not, you're not treating me poorly because of your beliefs and I'm not reacting to you poorly because of my own beliefs? I don't know if that means anything. Yeah, if someone had that belief, like they're, they're Christian and they're open-minded, but they're not open-minded to that. They're just like, look, you can be a lot of things. You could be a liar and a drunkard, but you can't be gay. That's the only thing you can't be. My neighbor said to me the other day. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Is there a way to still have a, a relationship with that person if you know, like, we agree on everything, quote, on the Bible. Like, we're so in tune, we, we agree, but in this one area, we're completely backwards. Can you still have a kind of a, a relationship with that person when you know they think that you're a sinner just because of, of that part of your life? I think that is definitely for every person. Like that, that's going to vary. I know for me, it depends on how that person treats me. So I do have, I, I know people who um, have those beliefs, no matter what I do, it doesn't matter how many good things I do in this world or the Bible quotes, I, Bible verses I can quote with them, I'm still not an okay person, there's something wrong with me, and I need to be prayed for. And I definitely have those people in my life, but I definitely keep them at a, at a distance, right? Because who would want somebody yeah. around them all the time, regardless of good intent, right? Like their intentions are good to say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. And, but regardless of good intent, it's still hurtful. It's still 
you know, painful. So, but other people keep those folks in their lives and that's fine. I just, for me personally, um, it's hard if somebody's very, very blatantly like, well, I'm against this and I'm against it. Keep your thoughts to yourself and we have a good relationship, then that's fine. But if it's, it's somebody who's very out and open about how much they hate people like me, it's like, well, how can you love and hate me at the same time? It doesn't seem to make any sense. It's like really personal. Depends on each person individually. Okay. Bringing it back, I saw one of the questions I kind of glossed over with you. You're at the doctor's office. Is there something that maybe the doctors ignore or do you ever feel like you're not getting an adequate exam or consultation once they find out? Do they get shy or they get nervous? I don't know what to ask. Am I allowed to ask? And then you're like, well, I feel like my, my quality of healthcare is going down now. Does that happen? For sure. It, it does. Um, and, and for me, I feel very fortunate that I am privileged that I have the ability with my insurance to be able to move doctors. And I live in an area where I can just say, you know what, this doctor doesn't make me feel comfortable. I'm moving to a different doctor. I have the um, cultural capital to be able to go interview doctors or ask questions, right? I have, I have a, where I feel safe that I can, you know, ask those questions. Hey, how do you feel about this? Do you accept me? And then make my own informed decisions. I, it's also, you know, I'm a researcher. I'm, a, I'm an academic, so I research. So I go online and I will look up everything I can about that doctor before I go and get to know them. I'll get referrals from people. Um, so I think there are definitely ways to find physicians. And, and I definitely, there are times where I have been in physician's office where I felt like they're not treating me the same way that they would treat others. It's very, um, you know, there's always, people are always complaining, oh, bedside manner. They didn't spend enough time with me in the office. You can tell besides somebody who's just really busy because they've got a lot of patients and they're behind or they don't want to be with you in a room, right? Um, and so I've definitely yeah. been able to, I've experienced that and have been able to see through that or just little comments that people have, you know, doctors have made have made me feel uncomfortable. I've even, you know, I back in, um, in I think 2007 or so, I was having some issues, feminine issues, cramps and really bad period pain and um, had gone to a specialist and had my partner with me and I had talked about how I wanted to have kids and I was worried about my reproductive health at that point. And he, after lots of tests and lots of things, diagnosed me with polycystic ovarian syndrome, put me on birth control and told me I was probably never going to have kids. I was going to have a really hard time conceiving. And he really, that was more of the conversation than my health of like getting my PCS. PCOS under control it was more like, well, you're probably really going to have a hard time having kids. Fast forward to like to 2012, I had an emergency appendectomy and then days later landed back in the hospital because I had a pulmonary embolism. And they just, they figured, yeah, at 32, who has that? Um, and who is fisting? They, they figured that I had the pulmonary embolism because of the birth control. Um, and the surgery, so it was just kind of a bad cocktail, right? So I, I went through all the tests, didn't yeah. have any issues. So I went off birth control completely. And I've recently, in the last couple of years, been going back to uh, a new physician who is very LGBTQ friendly, who says, I have fibroids. I don't have TFS. There's not any history of it. I'm able to have children if I so choose. That shouldn't be an issue. Fertility is not a problem. Oh. And And whether or not it was real that that person was mistreating me. Like they didn't want me to have kids. I 
still can't help but think, how does it, the reason I went to that physician in, in 2007 or so was because he was one of the top um, G bands in the state. I went to him specifically because of that. I did my research on it. How does somebody who's good at their job misdiagnose? Like, it seems like those two, those are two things. I'm no doctor, but hearing from my new doctor, those are two things you can't screw up, right? There's one here and one there. Um, and so I had that personal experience, whether it's real or not. To me, that's my experience of, I just remember being really uncomfortable with it being a conversation about you can't have kids, you can't have kids. And now it's like, that's not even, that shouldn't even have been a conversation. Wow. See, and I don't know enough about that area to to be like, wow, how did you miss, you know, how did you, you know, pass judgment on a sense of like, could you have ordered a better test? Yeah. yeah. Is that like an, like, could have an ultrasound diagnosed? Because I have friends that have that. And by golly, it took them 12 years to have another kid. Yeah. I mean, it was, that's real. I mean, it is a real side effect. But then to not really have that, a great diagnosis for it. And you're having all these problems anyway. So you're just like, well, it's got to be what it is. It seems, you know, a couple of boxes are checked and then boom. Yeah. Well, and that, it was confusing to me because I would, I, I didn't have the typical, like I didn't have acne. I didn't have weight gain. I mean, I weighed like 110 pounds at five feet. I was not, you know, I didn't have facial hair, thick hair. And those are the typically the things you see with PCOS. And even after I moved and left that doctor, um, before I had the surgery the, in the pulmonary embolism, there are doctors who say to me, I see that you mark PCOS, but you don't have, you don't look like a typical PCOS patient. And I would just think, oh, I'm just, I'm an anomaly because I tend to be an anomaly <laughs> medically, like who gets a, who has a pulmonary embolism at 32, perfectly <laughs> healthy. And right. I tend to have that. So I just took it as a grain of salt. But now I'm thinking about that. I'm like, all those doctors and a doctor in Lafayette was like, you don't have, I don't understand why you've ever thought this, why it's in your chart. Um, so it all just kind of added up. Uh huh. Wow, that's crazy. Um, I mean, yeah. So, it, but along along those lines, uh, in thinking about like what 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 do people feel comfortable talking about other doctors, or what don't they feel comfortable if they're in the LGBTQ community? Um, again, I don't speak for everybody, but I think just in general, like sexual health, sexual and reproductive health is is things you worry about for that very reason. Like things that happen to me, like oh, you can't have kids. End of story. And some people don't have the wherewithal. They don't have the ability. They don't have the access to go seek out other doctors for a second opinion. And then also hormone replacement therapy for people who are trans. Um, and so I think it's really important for, um, I think it's important in, for doctors. So if they're, again, the kind, of, kind of also bringing it around to like, maybe a doctor is not comfortable treating an LGBTQ patient, is being able, for the doctor to be able to put aside their beliefs and to say, I'm gonna refer you to somebody else and have a nearby physician that you refer them to that you know will support and treat them. So you can say, hey, I'm not gonna bake that cake for you, but I know somebody else who will, right? Um, so still seeing okay. that it doesn't matter a person's, it doesn't matter who, who a person, what their beliefs are. Healthcare is, it's a right, it's not a privilege, right? And we're, we all deserve access to no matter what, but if you don't feel like in your space, you can treat that person, you should be able to give them somebody else to go to that isn't in the next town or five hours away, but that they can have access to easily. Yeah, because I could see, definitely I could see some doctors are like, I have my own personal thoughts or beliefs or whatever about giving you hormone replacement. I'm not going to do it. And I'll, 
treat you for everything else, but I'm just not going to do it. I don't, you know, whatever reason they might have. Maybe they just really feel like it's not healthy at your age, something like that. Um, and if they can pass that on to somebody else, like, I don't know, I don't know what the rule is on that as far as like our ethical code, because luckily I don't have to deal with that kind of stuff, yeah. those type of hard decisions. But I could see a doctor saying, I, I'm not, I'm not versed in that process. Sure. So that could be a good cop yeah, out. Yeah, it could. I don't want to do that, it. I'm not going to learn about it. So I'm going to send you to an yeah, expert. Yeah, and I think actually, you know what? If you don't want to do it, it's better to say, you know, what? I'm not really well versed. I'm just saying I don't want to do it, right? <laughs> if you could just say, I'm not really, I don't know that well enough. I think you'd be better off with somebody who knows it better versus, man, I don't agree with that. So go to this other person. If you can just brush it off as, I'm not really well versed in that, and I want you in the best care. Because ultimately, shouldn't you want anybody, regardless, you want them in the best care. You want them to be their best selves, to be healthiest. So, yeah. Because there's plenty of doctors. They're like, can you manage my diabetes? Well, I mean, no, I'm a spine surgeon. I don't do diabetes. (laughs) You need to go to your PCP or something. Yeah. I like to always ask. It's a little more on the personal side. You got the questions ahead (laughs) of time. (laughs) Uh, When it comes to, like, hobbies, volunteering, besides working all day and doing research and teaching and, and all of that stuff. What gets you excited for your day? What, what gets you motivated to, to recharge and everything? Um, well, I'm an avid Michael Franti fan. <laughs> so anytime I'm having a bad day, I will put on his music and I will dance and sing and listen. Um, so that's it. I like to go to Michael Franti concerts. Um, so that's one fun thing I do. I, also, I live at the beach now. So 15 minutes and I'm on the beach. <sighs> Um, so, you know, my partner and I went out yesterday in the afternoon, we get to the beach about 20 to four and we sat there till almost sunset and just enjoyed. So that's when we like to get away. We like to take long walks on the beach. Um, but I also live in a unique place. So I live in downtown Wilmington, which is also on the Cape Fear River. Um, as you know, my time in Louisiana, I love the swamps. Um, we have swampy areas here. I live here in a swampy area. Spanish moss, the oak trees, oh. the cypress, um, right out my doorstep. And so my place to recharge really is if I can kayak down the swamp. I can just go get in nature and kayak. So that's what I, you know, it's kind of very meditative, very spiritual for me. If I can be around gators and Spanish moss and oak trees and water, I am calm and happy. And I will choose that over anything else. And my dogs. That's the other thing. If, my, if I could bring my dogs with me, I choose my dog over people. <laughs> um, I also, so my partner and also took a, um, the MSR course in January and mindfulness and meditation is pretty important practice is a part of our daily lives, even though we're not really that, um, structured. What that. was that again? You broke up. We, we do, we did an MBSR course, a mindfulness-based stress reduction course and mindfulness and okay. um, meditation is an important part of our routines. Both of us um, together separately, even though we really haven't been really disciplined, but that's also something that keeps us, that recenters us, me personally, but also my partner. Well, that actually transitions greatly because how do you keep the love alive and feel connected, especially when you are several hours apart? Well, um, I think open communication. We, when we are apart, we Skype every night. We have a date. We always, every night, we make sure that before we go to bed, we always see each other's faces. And the nights that we don't, it's harder. Um, we are in therapy because everybody needs to be in therapy. And we, we, are, we are, have fun together. We're, you know, like, she's my favorite person to do stuff with. I'd rather go, like, 
run errands, even if it's, you know, stupid going to the grocery store to pick up one day. I'm like, do you want to come with me? Um, so having our time together, but also I have a group of friends that I spend time with and she has a group of friends that she spends time with. We have our same friends, but we also have separate friends where we can go off and do our own thing. So we're very much together, but we also very much live and respect each other's independent lives. It's not to say it's not, it's not hard. I mean, we have issues like every other couple, but especially when we're being, being apart, I think we have to work a little bit harder at making sure it stays healthy. You do, because sometimes you just need a hug, yeah, exactly. and you can't yeah, get it. Exactly. Yep. Virtual hugs are not the same. That is not... <laughs> you take your virtual hug somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Not today. No, I mean, I've done it. I've done the long distance, and that was... It's not... It's hard. It's hard. But when you're committed and married and desire to, like, make it work, that's a huge exactly. part of it. And like you said, you're actually in counseling, whether you, quote, need it for bad times or if things are good, and you still go to... Keep it yeah, good. Exactly. I think that's important. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Books, podcasts, anything that you secretly love and things, something that everybody should read. I'm trying to, let me look at the podcast really quick that I have. I always forget the name of it. Serial. Um, oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, S-Town. S-Town. That was a great oh, okay. podcast. S-Town. It's an uh, I think I've seen it's, it. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. That that one I would recommend. Any podcast, really, I like to listen to the podcast. What book? Man, I read a lot of academic books, so I'm not sure anyone would find the books that I read. I read Pam Children. Um, actually, that's the book, um, Comfortable with Uncertainty by Pam Children. Comfortable with Uncertainty. It's one of my books that in the last decade or so I read at least once a year. It's 100 different Buddhist teachings that, you know, you can read in a minute and then meditate on or think about the rest of the day. And that book has, that book has fused my my Christian faith that I grew up having and my Buddhist kind of practice in life or trying to, like, live a life a little bit more centered. Those two came together when I read that book. I was able to say, wow, this is why I was able to, like, keep my beliefs personally that I've grown up with, but also have these beliefs of like things being bigger in this world than just me. And it's also a book that helps me have anxiety, helps me with my anxiety issues around my Crohn's disease. Really struggle, and I'll pull that book out and read it. Struggling at work with anger, get frustrated. It's a book that I pull out. Um, so, Comfortable with Uncertainty by um, Pema Children would be probably my number one book that I think everyone in this world should read. Uh, and if people wanted to get in contact with you somehow, how would they do that? They can email me. Um, my personal email is probably best versus my work, um, and I can share that with you. Um, I can share it here. It's DM and then my last name, S-T-A-C-H-O-W-I-A-K at gmail.com. Uh, people are also welcome to find me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Stahoviak is my Twitter handle. Um, I'm active on there mostly in my educator role and doing stuff with literacy and gender issues. Um, so people can find me there quite easily private message me that way or send me an email. Very nice. Are we going to see a lot of, um, are you a political, uh, political junkie as well? I'm not typically, I, I typically tend to things that people post about being a really good teacher about being inclusive of all students of living a life, uh, that's thoughtful, critically conscious. Um, so I tend to try to say it's probably not politically neutral, but I'm not, you know, posting what President Trump says or what, you know, Merkel says or what 
whomever. I'm not, I'm not that. You're going to see that. You're mostly going to see, especially my life as an educator that you're going to see. Um, and my, the work that I do, like I said, has to do around equity and social justice work, but specifically with gender studies issues and education. So you see a lot of that. Oh, that should be pretty, pretty fun uh, for people to check out then. And before we go, uh, anything that we missed or anything that you would like to chat about before we, we conclude? Um, one thing, actually, just kind of a little bit of a plug also, if folks are more interested in talking about LGBTQ, learning about LGBTQ folks, um, I'm doing a talk with a panel. It's for a literacy association next Saturday, but we're going to be talking about LGBTQ and our our LGBTQ students and literacy, but I think the people on the panel are probably also going to be talking about very general things anybody who's not an educator could also tune into. So I'm going to have that up on my Twitter. Um, they're going to do a live feed of it, but they're also going to have it in their archive. So if anybody wants to, you know, if you can't watch it Saturday when it's happening, you want to find the archive of it and go back and take a listen to it. I would recommend that. I, mean, I don't know what the panel is going to be. I know what it's going to be about, but I don't know what's going to happen. But just with the scholars and the people who are on the panel, I think it's going to be really helpful to educators and people across the board. So they can just reach out to you if they've missed. Uh, they're definitely going to miss it because your episode doesn't come out for a few okay, weeks. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> you that. So definitely you're going to be archive, archiving yeah. this so can, one. Yeah, uh, finding the link. That'll be on my, um, my Twitter account. Oh, fantastic. Well, I appreciate you being on the show and being open hopefully helping some doctors get over themselves <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think it's important. I, I think it's really kudos to you for wanting to bring this topic. Not a lot of people do. So appreciate that. You betcha. Did you know I am offering a cupping one-on-one online class? You know, I've been in China for a while. I've got a class set up with some TCM docs who do cupping. We'll show you the glass kind and the suction kind. You can find more information at a doctorsperspective.net slash cupping. Right now we have a pre-sale price, so you're going to save a good chunk of cash by signing up early. Just put your email. You'll get notified when the class goes live. Also, as always, the No Needle Acupuncture book. You can get four chapters, anxiety, low back, insomnia, and headaches. It's got pictures, how to find the points, and of course, all with no needles. Just go to a doctorsperspective.net slash in a protocol, as in needleless acupuncture. We had great results the other day from a lady who uh, couldn't do a lunge because her knee pain. Now, knee pain is not an issue. So excited to hear that. Also, the first book, Today's Choices, Tomorrow's Health. A lot of people are looking for a magic bullet. This ain't it. This is saying, hey, look, if you can do small things daily, you'll see results. And I'll, I'll give you the blueprints that I use to create an exercise routine cardio routine get my nutrition in order and actually get your finances in order too because that's a big stress in life and of course it talks a little about chiropractic so um i hope you check that out on the uh website under the resources tab uh, these are my affiliate links that helps out support the show uh, blueberry hosting uh, set for set they've got the power bands and uh and they're really really resistant really good to stretch those joints mentor box you can get subscription to watch the author talk about the book so that you don't have to spend the time reading it. Uh, it also comes with workbooks and things like that. It's really quite cool. Primal Health and Nutrition, you can save 10% by going through my link and using the code PRIMALDOC. Uh, it's bone broth. adheres to the autoimmune protocols and a specific carbohydrate diet. Gluten-free, non-GMO, no sugar, dairy-free, all those types of cool things. 
as well as ClickFunnels. If you f sign up through that or pick up a book from him through my links, it helps out a little bit. And then, of course, everybody's favorite, Amazon. You can sign up for different things like Prime, Fresh, or Music through our links. And, of course, any of the show notes when you have books mentioned, uh, if you follow the link through my site, that'll help out as well. Well, that is it. Go on ahead and leave us a five-star review. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. We just went hashtag behind the curtain, and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on adoptorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.